You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Paul was the church's greatest thinker, no doubt about it, greatest missionary, greatest apologist, that means defender of the faith, greatest theologian, greatest enthusiast, and the church's greatest apostle. No doubt about it, he was. Now, when they saw his name, they pictured the extraordinary Jew who could preach like an archangel, was bold as a lion, tender as a nurse, and honest as the sunshine, wiser than Solomon, more patient than Job. In your walk with Jesus, do you ever consider the importance of God's calling on your life? It's easy to feel like a failure and think that God has no place for you, but this couldn't be further from the truth. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to experience the divine calling for your life, you need to stay in close communion with Jesus. He has glorious plans in store for your life, and all you need to do is remain steadfast in His mercies. Let God's blessings wash over you. Live your life in God's perfect grace and be transformed. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Introduction to Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatians runs approximately 2,400 words. It's the size of a small pamphlet. It shows us Paul's soul on fire. If I can just be honest with you, he's angry as he writes this letter. He's angry. He's sizzling over what has happened to this young church. Now, it shows us uh, his soul on fire. It's aimed at silencing the Judaizers who insisted on mixing law with grace, diluting the pure message of grace. If you want to know the motivations of Galatians, it's this, uh, that the gospel is we are saved by grace alone. You can't add to it. You can't dilute it, can't pollute it. You can't take away from it. It is what it is. And people were messing with it in Paul's day, and he's angry. Now, he wanted to silence the Judaizers who were mixing the gospel up with the law, but it also defines exactly what Christianity really is. Martin Luther, the preacher of the Reformation, the monk who got saved, loved this epistle. He said, it's my epistle. He said, I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. That's what Luther said about Galatians. It is my wife. Now, he got married later, and I think he made a switch. But at this time, he said, it's my wife. Now, the letter to the Galatians became Luther's dagger to plunge into the heart of an erring Catholic church during his day. He used the message of Galatians. He was wedded to it. Now... The reference to liberty occurs 11 times in this letter. So 11 times, liberty, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. 11 times you find it in this little bitty letter of 2,400 words. The name Christ is found 43 times. Then he goes on, the law, the word law is referred to 31 times, and faith is found 22 times. The word bondage, And its kindred words occur 11 times, and the cross is mentioned six times. Now, interestingly, of the 15 times the phrase works of the flesh is found, eight of them have to do with sins of strife. Talk about strife among believers. 
Gee, that never happens, right? (laughs) All right. We find that the Galatians had welcomed Paul with open arms and had received him. Indeed, the Bible says, as an angel of God, Galatians 4.14, they had received him as a a veritable angel of God. Uh, Had it been possible, they went on to say in verse 15 of chapter 4, they would have plucked out their own eyes and have given them to him. Now, that's a reference to he had eye trouble. We don't know what the eye trouble was, but Paul had something with his eyes. He, he was either really myopic or he had some kind of a disease. Uh, there was another place in the Bible where we are, and, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say disease because the guy prayed for people and they were healed all the time. So I don't know if it was actual disease, but something was wrong. When, when he signed a letter, it was in giant letters because he couldn't see well. So he said, I know that if you could have, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's how much you love me. That's how much I meant to you. That's powerful. But this hospitable attitude didn't last. They became prejudiced against Paul because of false teachers who persuaded them to embrace another gospel. Can you say that little phrase with me? Another gospel. Well, that's important. It was important back then, and it's important today. Another gospel. We're going to look at that more closely in a moment. Now, Paul goes so far as to say that they had been bewitched. Who has bewitched you? He asked them. And had become as ready to bite and devour one another as they were to change teachers and gospels. So something had gotten into this church. Something had infiltrated this church. And when Paul left it, it was this, this young community of new believers that were thriving and doing great. And in his absence, in came these false teachers, infiltrated what was going on. And man, was it causing trouble to the place where he said, who's bewitched you? Who is, who has put you under a spell that this has happened to you so quickly when you had had been introduced to the real gospel and had great teaching. Who did this to you? How did this happen so fast? We're going to see in our study that the Galatians were brave and enthusiastic, but they were also susceptible to quick impressions and sudden changes. In other words, they were gullible. They were easy targets, and the enemy took advantage of it. Yet Paul loved them. He always did. He was a lover. He loved people. He refused to write them off just because false teachers had hypnotized them. He could have said, well, if you're that dumb, go on. I'm done with you. But he said, no, he didn't do that. His response was to pick up his pen and fire off this letter. Perhaps the first of all of his letters, we're pretty convinced it was the first one he ever wrote. Now, in doing so, he did you and me a favor. Because we too still have among us those who would like to make us bow to legalism or some other error. We're living in a day, church, filled with error, filled with doctrinal error. It's stunning sometimes. I'm amazed at what Christians believe sometimes. I can almost say to a few that, that I even know, who's bewitched you? What spell have you fallen under that having been birthed in sound doctrine. Now you've gone off in this direction. How has this happened to you? Well, the enemy appears as an angel of light. Uh, The enemy of our soul doesn't appear as some ugly uh, devil with a tail and horns and a pitchfork or 
um, some gruesome creature. He's very, very, very good at coming on the scene as a very angel of light, magnetic, appealing to the eye and to the flesh and to the pride of life. And if you're not careful, you can be really on in years with God and still become deceived. That's why we need the word of God so badly. Amen? Now, Paul begins the letter with his signature, Paul. Paul's signature on a letter was worth millions in spiritual currency. His name on an epistle is like the name of Mozart on a musical score or the name Rembrandt on a painting or the name Rockefeller on a check or the word sterling on silver. If Paul's name was on it, wow. Brightest man of his day. More wisdom than any of the apostles. I've said to you often, I don't worship the man. I I really don't. He gets a bad rap in our day because people don't understand the word of God and what he really taught. But I think Paul was the single greatest Christian to ever live. No doubt in my mind about it. Uh, Peter was a great Christian. John, incredible Christian. But Paul just seemed to have an edge that none of the others had. Now, that doesn't diminish what they wrote because they all wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And every word they wrote is true. I'm just talking about their life. Paul was just the cat's meow. Okay? Now... Paul was the church's greatest thinker, no doubt about it, greatest missionary, greatest apologist, that means defender of the faith, greatest theologian, greatest enthusiast, and the church's greatest apostle. No doubt about it. He was. Now, when they saw his name, they pictured the extraordinary Jew who could preach like an archangel, was bold as a lion, tender as a nurse, and honest as the sunshine, wiser than Solomon, more patient than Job, and was mightily armed with spiritual authority and power. That was Paul. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's begin. And here's Paul introducing himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul is answering, keep in mind that his critics have been undermining him, saying that he wasn't a real apostle, saying that the other apostles were genuine, but Paul never saw Jesus himself in person like they had. They were, they were undermining his authority and attacking him from every side, so he comes right out of the chute defending not himself, but his call and his apostleship. He said, I'm an apostle, let me tell you where it came from. It didn't come from men. It did not come through a man. My apostleship came from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, let me tell you the truth about ministry today. Every man, every woman called to ministry ought to be able to say, my calling did not come from men. All men do is confirm what God has already revealed. But my calling has come from God. And if you can't say that, then you need to get out of that ministry because God appoints and then God anoints. And so I can tell you my calling didn't come from men. Men confirm my calling, but it didn't come from men. Men, It wasn't man's idea. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. It was God's call. And men only confirmed it. When we anoint people or license people and ordain people in this church. As we did recently, we licensed three men. We're not 
calling them. We are only affirming that God has called them. The calling is of God, and that's where Paul began. His very first words are an indignant denial of the lies his enemies were telling about him, lies that the Galatians, unfortunately, had believed. Jews from Jerusalem had been troubling the infant Galatian churches. They had sought to undermine Paul's authority. They resented Paul's reaching out to the Gentiles, and that was the rub. They were Jews, and they, didn't, they did not embrace the idea that God would extend his grace to the Gentile world. But every Gentile in here tonight say, I'm so glad he did. Amen? Because one day, Paul reached the point where he, he just brushed the dust off his feet and said, you know what? I'm done trying to reach the Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. They'll listen. And thank God he did. So they attacked his calling, his credentials, and his message. They claimed that Paul was making changes in the gospel by teaching against the necessity of circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, and abiding the ritual requirements of the Mosaic Law. They were saying, what is he doing preaching grace only and not also the law? Because they believed you had to mix the law with grace. In other words, these false teachers insisted on the old requirements of the law mixed in with the grace of Christ. In other words, there was a performance factor involved. You're going to have to do certain things to get saved. It's not just a free gift from God. It's going to take some performance, some works, some doing on your part to seal your salvation. Nothing made Paul matter than that. I mean, if you want to get Paul angry, that's what did it. When you took away from pure grace and added works to it, he said, that's it. You have, you have crossed the line. Now you're going to hear from me. And that's what Galatians is all about. Now, Paul countered with a red hot defense of his apostleship and his calling. He said, mine has been the mighty ordination of the nail pierced hands. Boy, I love that. Mine has been the mighty ordination of the nail pierced hands. No less than 19 times Paul claims to be an apostle. And his message was that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead had changed everything, had changed everything, and had rendered Judaism obsolete. Remember when Jesus died and the veil in the temple was rent in half? That veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Only the priest could go into the holy of holies before Jesus died. But when Jesus died, an invisible hand, I think it was a mighty angel, grabbed this incredibly thick, long curtain and with supernatural strength, just ripped it top to bottom. What was God saying? Because of the sacrifice of my son, the Old Testament way, the Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Testament methodology is done away with. Now anybody who leans on him and calls on him and receives the sacrifice of his blood can enter the holy of holies himself. Tonight as we worship, we were in the holy of holies. Amen. And anytime you want to enter the holy of holies, you can do it in your car, in rush hour traffic, lift up your hands. Well, don't lift up your hands. <laughs> lift up your voice. And just begin to sing. And, and, and the Lord enters that place because now the veil is rent in half. And you are all priests of God. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So whereas the priest alone could walk through that curtain in olden days, now we all can do it. 
Judaism, Old Testament Judaism, was rendered obsolete by the sacrifice of Jesus. And Paul was not alone in his stand, mentioning in verse 2, he says, quote, and all the brethren who are with me, in other words, who agree with me, they're not just here geographically, but they agree with me. Paul's message is encapsulated in his famous passage, and I want us to read this together, because this is Paul's song. Are you ready? Let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you want to know Paul's message in a nutshell, that's it right there. That's what Galatians is all about. This is what he's defending, that we have been saved by pure, undeserved favor, grace. There wasn't one work involved in it, and that's real hard for us to get a hold of because we, we always think there's something I've got to do. No, there's nothing that you can do but believe. And when you put your faith in him, you're saved by grace through faith not of works or good deeds, works of righteousness, we have done. Lest anybody should boast and say, well, it was because I did this and I did that that I'm saved. No, you don't have a boast. None of us have a boast. That's why when we get to heaven, it's going to be one great big worship session. That's why when we get to glory, all the crowns that we have been given, we're going to take off and put at his feet because there will be no reason to boast. We have been snatched from the jaws of hell by grace and grace alone, period. That's it. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. Galatians consists of three parts. First, there is an explanation in which Paul deals largely with matters of a historical nature. Then comes an exposition in which Paul lays out the foundation of sound doctrine. And finally, there is an exhortation in which Paul appeals for a practical Christian living, which he always does. And it's going to be a great, great study. You're going to get so much out of this, and it's going to build your faith. Now, he begins... Verse 3, with his favorite word, which is grace, followed by his second favorite word, which is peace. Let's read verse 3 together, can we? Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The order is on purpose because you don't have God's peace until you've had God's grace. When you receive God's grace, peace follows. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle is over. It's over when you come to Christ and he forgives you. The battle with God, which we've, we're all involved in, B.C., is over. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, where do peace and grace come from? He says, God our Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Simple grace, saving grace, undeserved sovereign favor and grace proceed from God and Jesus Christ, his son, to deliver us, quote, according to his will. All the initiative in our salvation comes from above, not from us. I like to say sometimes, dead people don't seek God. And the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So dead people don't seek God. It's really kind of wrong if we get up and say, well, you know what? Praise God. Last night, I found the Lord. You never found the Lord. He found you because you were dead. You know what dead people do? They lay there. 
dead. And they don't get up to seek anything. God, by grace, came knocking on the door of your heart. He quickened you by his spirit. He convicted you of sin when you didn't know you were in sin. He showed you the reality of the sacrifice of his son. When you got saved, it was all the doing of God. Yes, you had to repent, but God's the one that came knocking. God's the one that came seeking. God's the one that came finding. So we owe it all to him. According to his will, all the initiative was on the part of God. Now, verses 4 and 5, here's what he says. Who gave himself, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the word deliver, when it says God delivered us, means to rescue from danger. A while back, we have a little chihuahua who, who thinks that Kathy is Jesus. Because every time she comes home, he goes on a barking fit, which is his form of Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. Every time she walks in the door, when I walk in, he doesn't even look up. But when she walks in, it's Jesus came. Jesus came back every single time. Now, one day I just happened to be walking. We have a little fountain out back. And one day I just happened to be walking by the door that's glass. And I looked out just in time to see it was fall. And the leaves had fallen on top of this fountain so that it looked like a ground. And I looked just out of my peripheral vision. I just happened to see Poppy, that's his name, Poppy, fall in. He thought the leaves were ground. He just went walking right on. And bloop, he was gone. Bloop, right underneath. And it was freezing cold. I yelled. And it's one of those things where you're running, but it's all slow motion. Oh, no. You know the feeling, right? Because you can't get there fast enough. And I ran up to that fountain and seemed to me like by the time I got there, he'd been under there forever. And his little nose was sticking up and you could see it in his eyes. I'm gone. I'm a goner. But see, here's what happened. I rescued him from certain destruction. He could never have gotten out on his own. It could never have happened. I had to see him. I had to go to him. I had to reach my hand in and pull him out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set his feet on a rock, and establish his goings, and put a new song in his mouth. <laughs> Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. If you want to know what deliver means, that's what it means. So you were sinking, friend. You were under. You were dead. You were perishing. You were hellbound. And the Lord said, I see you. He ran to you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. He came knocking on the door of your heart by the Holy Ghost for you. He sought you out in the deepest, darkest corners of your sinful lifestyle. He found you. He pulled you up out of that horrible pit of sin and destruction, filled you with his Holy Spirit, really did put a new song in your mouth, and none of it had to do with you because you couldn't do anything to save yourself. That's the same thing. 
to rescue from danger, deliver. The word evil, he rescued us not just from danger, but from an evil world. In your walk with Jesus, have you ever experienced doubts about what you're seeking after? Maybe you haven't heard from God, or maybe you don't know if he's there for you. But regardless, it's easy to lose faith. Today, we learn from Pastor Jeff that if you want to experience your full potential that God has in store for you, follow Him, no matter how improbable it may seem. The greatest blessings you'll ever experience are through His eternal promises. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We are so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to give. Next time with Pastor Jeff, we'll learn that the only way to experience true closeness with God is by sacrificing yourself just as Jesus did. He gave His life so that you might be saved from your past mistakes. Turn your life around today by letting God's perfect grace pierce your heart. He has always had you on His mind and wants nothing more than to usher you into a life of deliverance. Leave your burdens at the face of Jesus and be saved for eternity. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians next time on Hardwired.